Acts 22 is where we are today, and uh, in Acts, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we're into now the last eight chapters or so. The last eight chapters of the book of Acts tell one really long story, and it's not easily broken up into nice little chunks, and so we're just having to kind of jump in, parachute in, and, 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 and pull some truth out from there and just kind of cut it off and pick up again next week where we leave off. And so last week what we saw was that Paul had traveled to Jerusalem. He had gone there with an offering from the Gentile churches. Uh, those are churches that are not Jewish as Paul had traveled around these missionary, uh, uh, this missionary journey that he had been on. He had planted all of these churches. God had done amazing things. The, the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish church was suffering under a famine. They were also suffering under persecution. And so the Lord put it in Paul's heart, raise an offering and take it to these uh, Jewish Christians that are suffering. And so Paul had raised the offering. He had taken it to Jerusalem. And that's, that's really where we left the story off. Last week, what we saw was that as Paul went to Jerusalem, he gave them the offering. It was well received by the church. But while he was there in Jerusalem, there were some people who came from where Paul had been doing ministry, some people who were against him, some people who opposed him. We've seen all kinds of people try to take Paul down. They recognize him there in Jerusalem, and they start a riot. They, they organize a mob. They, they get a bunch of people really mad, and they're trying to kill Paul right there on the street, right there in that moment. And that's where we left the story off last week with this violent mob attacking Paul, beating him, uh, killing him, essentially. And the Roman government there, the, the Roman uh, uh, centurion or, or the commander there of the Roman uh, government had sent a, a, a group of soldiers there to arrest Paul and to, to question him to see why they thought maybe he was the one who had started the riot and so they're arresting Paul, he's in chains, and Paul, we'll pick it up in chapter 21, at the end of chapter 1, Paul turns to the guard who's arresting him, and he says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when the guard had given Paul permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. Remember, his hands are in chains, he's, he's motioning to speak. And, and there was this great hush that came across the crowd. And he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard what he was, that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way, that's Christianity, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers. And I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground 
And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw Jesus saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. In this passage, what we see here is Paul making his defense before this angry mob. And his defense can be broken into three sections that we're going to look at today. The first is his credentials. He talks about his past before Christ. The second is Paul's transformation. And the third that we're going to see is his mandate. So Paul's credentials, Paul's transformation, and Paul's mandate. What's amazing to me is, is Paul, as he's being beaten by this mob, as this mob is violently trying to kill him, when the, the Roman guards come and surround him and protect him and arrest him, and are, they're taking him away, they're taking him away to safety. That's a good thing. If I'm being beaten up by an angry mob and the police show up, I don't care that they're arresting me and not everybody else. I'm happy that they're getting me out of that situation. Can you understand what I'm saying? Like, that would be terrifying. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before. I don't know if you've ever had an angry mob attack you. But, but this is a terrifying situation. Nevertheless, as Paul is being taken from a dangerous situation to a, a place of safety, he stops the soldiers and he, he says, I want to speak to the crowd. Don't take me away to safety. I want to minister to these people. These people who were just seconds earlier so mad at him, so angry at him, so violent against him that they were killing him. But Paul says, stop. Let me witness. Let me share the gospel. Let me tell them about the power, the transforming power of Jesus Christ. 
And, and this just strikes me as so unusual, so out of the norm, so beyond what the, the natural inclination of the human heart would be, which would be, great, let's get out of here. Great, get me away from this angry mob. Great, take me to a safe place where these people can't attack me anymore. But that's not Paul. And that's not what we've seen through the whole book of Acts as we've watched the witnesses that have witnessed for Christ, those who have stood their ground to tell people about Jesus, that they don't do the natural thing. They don't do what we would expect. They don't do the usual thing. Instead, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the power of God, filled with the boldness that comes from knowing Christ, they do something unusual. They do something extraordinary. They don't just follow the natural pattern of normal human behavior. And again, I show that to you because I want to highlight for you just how different the people of God, the people filled with the Spirit of God, how different they are from everybody else. How, how, how different they, they, they respond in times of crisis. How different they respond in, in, in moments like these when things are crazy, when things are out of control, that the people of God, they, they don't just follow the natural course of the pattern of the world. God's people don't just get swept up in whatever is going on. Those who are filled with the Spirit of God, those who are following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I say that to you, Again, in a time where our country is in turmoil, things are upside down, things are crazy, everything is nuts right now, and it could be nuts again this week, but the people of God, they don't get swept up into the insanity. Why? Because they're listening to a different voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. We as God's people, it is so critically important that we are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That we are asking God for his leading and for his direction. And when we do that, I, I believe that God leads his people to do some unusual things some things that are out of the ordinary, some things that don't follow the natural course of the pattern of human nature because we're living according to God's rule, the kingdom of God, not according to the kingdoms of this world. I'm, I'm going to direct your attention to John gospel. I'm going off the script this morning. John chapter 18. John chapter 18 is Jesus on trial, which is sort of an oxymoron because Jesus was the perfect man. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. Nevertheless, Jesus is being put on trial, God being put on trial, which is so ironic. 
Nevertheless, Jesus, the Son of God, stands before Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate questioning Jesus. Jesus is going to the cross. This is what he came to do and came to accomplish. To die on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, paying the price for our sin. But he's put before Pilate. Pilate was basically, the Jews were trying to use Pilate to get Jesus executed. So Pilate entered his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or do others say it about you? Or say it to you about me? Did you come up with this yourself or is this something you've just heard? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Again, Jesus standing before Pilate, the Roman government, the Roman government, which was the, the, the world power at that time, the whole world literally under the power of Rome, the Roman governor of Jerusalem there, Pilate, Jesus speaking to him, saying, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is the truth? What is truth? As he said this, he went back outside to the Jews. He said, I don't find any guilt in him. He tried to have Jesus released. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because Jesus was the one who had authority over him. Even though Pilate thought he was in control, it was actually God who was in control over all of these events. Pilate three times tries to release Jesus. See, Pilate thinks he's in control. Pilate thinks he has the authority. Pilate thinks he has the power. But what we see is that he has no power and Jesus has all the power. And the reason why Pilate cannot release him, even though he wants to, is because it was not the will of God. The sovereign will of God was that the Son of God would go to the cross and pay the price for the sins of the world. And so Pilate, even though he wants to release Christ because he finds no wrong that he has done, he cannot because it is the will of God that Christ go to the cross. And so Pilate, if you go into verse 19, chapter 4, Pilate again goes out to them and says, bringing Jesus out after he had him flogged, he said, I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, that, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, we have a law that according to the law he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. 
When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. He could not release him because it was God's will that he go to the cross. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. In another passage, Jesus says, or in this passage, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not have been delivered over to the Jews if you remember, when Jesus was arrested, Peter pulled out his sword and struck the, the, the servant's ear, cut his ear off. What did Jesus say to Peter? Put your sword away. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus healed that man's ear. Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would be fighting. They would be storming this compound that I would not be arrested. Listen, our kingdom, the kingdom of God, is not the kingdom of this world. It's not. And the kingdom that we're a part of, the kingdom that we serve, it has all authority over every other kingdom. All authority. The sovereign God rules and reigns over every authority, over every principality, over every power, over every government, over every king, over every queen, over every president, Jesus Christ, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. We need to understand this. Christians do not do what we saw happen last week. It's not what Christians do. Why? Because our kingdom is not of this world. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. So we see God's people do unusual things, not the natural thing. We see that on display in Paul here. Paul here outlines his credentials, they're very impressive. Paul was on a fast track to being a, a leader in, of the Jewish people. He, he had the most prestigious training. He was trained under the, the most prestigious rabbi of the time, Gamaliel. To, to be trained under this brilliant man, you had to be one of the smartest, one of the sharpest uh, uh, students, one of the most, uh, the highest IQ. He, this man would not take you know, C grade, B grade, even A grade students. You had to be A plus, plus, plus. You had to be one of the sharpest, most brilliant people to study under this rabbi. Paul was one of those people. He was trained in the strictest form of the law. Paul knew the law of God forwards and backwards. He was trained as a Pharisee. 
Paul was, was advancing, advancing quickly within that system that was in Jerusalem, this political religious system that they had there, where Paul was advancing to a place of prominence, of power, of prestige, and wealth. And he was going there quickly. He was a rising star. That was his track. That was his path. That's where he was going. But in doing so, he was full of self-righteousness. He was full of pride. He was full of arrogance. And he was persecuting Christ. He was persecuting the church. Those were his credentials. That was his course of life. That is where he was headed to be one of these religious leaders until Jesus showed up, until Jesus saved him, until Jesus spoke from heaven to him. And what's amazing to me, this, this light as Paul is traveling to go arrest more Christians, we see Paul's credentials and, and here we see Paul's transformation He's traveling on the road to Damascus. He's going there to arrest Christians. He's going there to persecute them. He's going there to, to bring them back to Jerusalem, to have them put on trial and eventually martyred for their faith. It says it's about noontime and a bright light shines from heaven. And the light is so bright that Paul, the, the only response that he has is that he falls to the ground. Now think about that. We know what a bright sun is like. We know what the high news sun is like. Even in January, we're going to walk out here today and it's going to be noon and we're going to be like, man, that is bright. That is hot. But imagine the sun in like August at noon. You need sunglasses on your sunglasses when you walk out at noon in August. You never go outside at noon in August in San Antonio unless you're on your way to lunch or you got a really good AC in your car. I mean, it is bright sunlight. But the light that shines from heaven is even brighter than the sun. And this light shines so brightly that Paul falls on his face. And a voice from heaven cries out. Paul is terrified. And now this light has a voice, and this voice is speaking to him, and this voice knows his name. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I would imagine that the knot in my stomach would have just been like the size of a softball. I mean, imagine what that would feel like. Paul laying face in the dirt, this light that is so bright, it's terrifying to him, calls out to him with this question, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds, who are you, Lord? And then it gets worse for Saul because the voice cries back, I am Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Imagine the terror that must have shot through Paul's spine in that moment. He has been opposing Christ. 
He has overseen the martyrdom of Stephen, a leader within the church. He's tracking down followers of Jesus to have them killed. And now Jesus, who he thought was just a false Messiah, who he thought was buried in a grave somewhere, now it's true that Jesus is alive, that he is ruling and reigning, that he is seated on the throne, and he has put all of the focus and all of the attention from heaven on Saul. I would be waiting for the ground to open up and for me to be swallowed up into hell in that moment. That's what I would be waiting for. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. There's no doubt in my mind that Saul expected in that moment justice for what he had done. But instead of justice, Paul receives grace. Paul does not receive judgment for the things that he has done. Instead, he receives the grace of God. Paul asks this question of Jesus. He says, Lord, what shall I do? What shall I do? You see, till this point, Paul had been doing what he thought he should do. He had been living his life his way. He had his plan. He had his agenda. He had his career. He had his goals. But in this moment where it's... it's Revealed to him that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is seated on the throne of heaven. Paul comes to this revelation where he says, it's not, I, I, I have to not live according to what I want to do at this point. I must find out what Jesus wants me to do. And this is a prayer that all of us should be praying constantly, constantly. Lord, what should I do? Especially in the times that we live in right now, especially with the turmoil and the chaos and the craziness, where we as God's people, we don't just do what we think is best. We don't just do what our own abilities, our wisdom, our natural thinking and intellect, our culture, what other people are doing, where instead of all of that, we put all of that to the side and, and we as Christians go to Jesus, our Lord, and we say, Lord, what should we do? What should we do? And there are so many so-called Christians who say they believe in Christ, yet they never ask this question. What should we do? Somewhere along the line, there's this idea that developed that you can be a Christian and not follow Christ. That, that you can be a Christian and, and sort of sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on the top of your life and your plans and your agendas and your goals and your uh, will and your purpose. And, and you do your life the way you want and then you just come along and sprinkle a little Jesus on top for him to bless your thing. That's not how it works. I don't know where this idea came from, but I know where it didn't come from. It didn't come from here. It didn't come from this book. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, step one, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. That means you, you don't live life according to how you think you ought to live it. That means that you don't just pursue whatever is in your heart. That means that you, you aren't just in life, uh, going through life with what you can get out of it and what you can receive from other people and how you can prosper and how you can, can just do your thing and get your plans and live for your own glory. No. To follow Christ, you must, step one, deny yourself. Secondly, it says you have to take up your cross. Take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, if you were carrying a cross in that day, you were only headed to one destination. You were heading to the place of your death. Literally, someone carrying their cross is a dead man walking. It's like someone walking down the halls of, of uh, a prison on their way uh, to be, pay the price for their crimes and to suffer capital punishment. A dead man walking. Jesus says to follow him we must deny ourselves to the point, to, to such a, an, an, an intense degree that it is as if we have died to this life. The things of this life, the things of this world, the temptations that, that come our way, the allure of what this world says that you can have if you follow the course and the pattern of this world, Jesus says to follow him, we must die to those things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow Jesus. This profound statement, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a profound statement because we live in this world but the Bible says we're not to be of the world. But too many, too oftentimes we live as if we are of the world with the world's priorities, materialism, prestige, power, wealth, our own glory, the, the world's priorities in our lives. We just want the newest thing. We want the better thing. We want the bigger thing. Get the newer car, get the bigger house, get the extra car, okay, get the jet skis, get the... the the place out at the lake, get the club membership, get, the, get, the all, get all the stuff. Jesus says, if you pursue that, you'll find your life in this world, but you'll really end up losing eternal life. You'll miss out on really living. Jesus says, if you lose those things, if you... If you put those, the pursuit of those things aside, but instead you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not only will you find life, not only will you truly live, but he says all these other things will be added to you as well. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We see this all the time, don't we? Not a year goes by. Not a year goes by in our country where someone who is wealthy, who is powerful, who has all of the accolades, who is adored by millions, takes their own life. We see it. It happens every year. Every single year. Why? Because they gained the whole world, but they lost their soul. They had no love. They had no joy. They had no peace. They had no satisfaction. They had none of the things that only Christ can give. They thought they would find it in these things. And when they got to the bottom, all they found was that it was empty, that it was meaningless, that there was nothing there. People who pursue after all of these things yet lose their own soul. It should not be that way for us as Christians. Amen. Those who claim to know Christ, those who claim to have been saved by Christ, those who claim to have had the light of Christ shine into their lives. Paul was forever changed by this moment. This moment where God showed him grace instead of judgment. Where God gave him an opportunity for a new life instead of requiring his life from him for his sin. Paul was forever changed. He left that dirt a changed man. He got up, though he was blind still, he could not see. He was blinded, not by darkness, he was blinded by the light. He wasn't blinded by darkness. There is a, dark, there is a blindness from darkness, but Paul was suffering the blindness of light. It was shining so bright. But from that moment on, as Paul's sight was restored, from that moment on, he saw everything different. He saw it in a new light. He saw everything in the light of Christ and living not for his own glory, not for what he could achieve and what levels of prominence he could uh, ascend to, but he lived his life to serve Christ. To serve Christ. And so we see Paul here as this story concludes. He's there praying in the temple. He's praying in the temple. The Lord appears to him and says, I, I want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to go and proclaim me. Be a witness for me. Share the gospel. Paul says, how can I do that, Lord? The, the people know my reputation. They know the things I've done. How, how in the world? I, I've, I'm disqualified. I've disqualified myself by the things that I've done. Jesus ignores all of that and says, Go. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. You will go and shine my light to those who are in darkness. So oftentimes we want to disqualify ourselves by our past. The past is irrelevant to God. God is only concerned about the future. God is only concerned about, about the next step, the next place. And so Paul is there. He says, Lord, what shall I do? The Lord tells him what to do. He says, go out of Jerusalem. Take the next step. I want you to go and preach and to proclaim. And so he does it. And we see how following after God, taking that next step, praying that prayer, Lord, what shall I do? And then obeying the Lord. We see where it took the Apostle Paul, the impact that he had, the impact that his life continues to have, that his life continues to this day, echoing through, uh, echoing through human history, the life of this man fully surrendered to Christ. But it should be the same for you and me. That's the point here today. That we should live a life praying this prayer. Lord, what should I do? Lord, what should I do? 
That shouldn't be a prayer that only crosses our lips or our minds every once in a blue moon. In fact, I would submit to you that we have opportunity to pray that prayer dozens of times a day. When I get into an argument with my wife, Lord, what should I do? And it's always my fault. Let me just say, it's always my fault. When my kids are going crazy and they're misbehaving, Lord, what should I do? When things at work are going crazy, when things at work are falling apart, when, when someone is attacking me, when someone is falsely accusing me, instead of just digging in and doing what I think I ought to do and acting out of the flesh, we're full of the Spirit of God. We're God's people. Lord, what should I do? When the economy tanks and the business isn't coming in and things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going, Lord, what should I do? We need to be praying this prayer and praying it often. And guess what will happen? The Lord will show you what to do. The Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all men. That he is not a respecter of persons. If you will ask the Lord what to do, he will show you. Now, he won't show you A to Z. He won't show you all the way at the end. He'll show you. Guess what he'll show you? He'll show you the next step. That's what he'll show you. He'll show you the next step. He'll say, this is what you need to do. Do this. Take this step. And guess what? I could probably bet you like 75% of the time you won't want to do what he tells you to do. That's what we see the Apostle Paul. Get out of Jerusalem. Go be a preacher. Uh, Lord, have you read my resume? Uh, Lord, have you seen the things I've done? Uh, how can I do that? How, how in the world? And Jesus says, go, obey, do it. And so he does. He steps out in faith. Can you imagine the first time Paul wants to preach to people? And they're like, aren't you the guy who came here to kill us? Like, his pride had to be crucified. For him to follow Christ. And it was. And look what he did. We have to take the next step. We have to ask the question, Lord, what should I do? And you know what? Sometimes the Lord, he won't answer us. And in that moment, you know what we should do? Wait. Wait. The Bible says those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know what waiting takes? Patience. You know what patience is? It's horrible. It, like, who loves to wait? I hate to wait. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who don't just presumptuously jump out into doing whatever they think they ought to do, which they think is best in their own natural reasoning and understanding, that is the way to bring things down. But the way to lift things up, the way to, to put things in the hand of God is to pray and to ask, Lord, what should I do? And to wait for him to answer. And then when he does answer, to have the boldness, to have the courage, to have the submission, to have the willingness to take that step of faith and to do it. So what is the Lord speaking to you to do? In your life, in your circumstance, in your situation, in your family, at your job, in your career, with all of the stuff, it's, it's very likely that God's not going to ask you to be like the Apostle Paul and to forsake everything and to sell everything and to leave everything and to just go off and to go do this. 
and to suffer and to be in chains and to be in prison and to be shipwrecked and to be beaten and to be martyred, it's it's probable that that's not what God's going to ask you to do. It's very probable that God's going to ask you to stay put, to stay where you're at, to continue to, to serve and to love the people that you know and to shine and to be a witness there. That's very possibly what God's going to ask you to do. But you got to ask. You got to ask the question. To find God's will, you got to ask Him, Lord, what shall I do? And then when He does, we need to step out in faith. So, what is the Lord asking you to do? Is He asking you to, to reach out to some of your family members that don't know Christ and to share the gospel with them? Is he asking you to be more diligent in your family time of praying together and spending time in God's word together? Is he asking you to, 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 to show love and kindness and patience and mercy to this person who is just a rotten human being? Is he asking you to be more patient and loving with your spouse or with your kids? What is he asking you to do? To find out, we have to ask the question. To follow him, to walk with him step by step and day by day, to have fellowship with him, we have to obey what he asks us to do. Let's stand together. I know I said a lot this morning. But hopefully in all of that, the Holy Spirit spoke to you at some point. Lord, we ask for your wisdom and your guidance as your people. Lord, we're not part of the kingdom of this world. Though we live in the world, we are not of the world. We ask for wisdom. We ask for you to show us what to do. What should we do? We don't know what we ought to do. Times like these, there's just so many things going on, so much, so many lies, so much deceit everywhere. We, it, it's hard to know, Lord. So, Lord, we don't, we don't look to man. We don't look to government to, be the, to, to where we find the truth, Lord. We look to your word, which is the truth. We look to you, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, show us what to do. Help us. Speak to our hearts. Each one of us, Lord, you know where we're at. You know our name. Just as you called Saul from heaven, you've called all of us out of darkness into light. You know where we're at. You know the events of our lives. You know the circumstances that we're going through. You know where you want us to go and and, and the plan and purpose that you have for us. Lord, we ask, we genuinely ask in humility as Saul, Lord, what shall we do? Reveal it to us. Show us your purpose. Show us your plan. Show us the next step that we should take. Show us the words that we should speak. Bring to our mind the the people that you want us to love, the people that you want us to, to show your love to in a special and particular way. Lord, give us the grace to do that because we can't do it in our own strength. We can do nothing without you. But as we abide in you, you give us your strength. We're filled with your spirit. Speak to us. Lord, let us be a people that is not led by the spirit of this age or the spirit of the world, but is led by the spirit of God. 
You've called us to be a part of your church. To be a peculiar people. Help us, Lord, through the power of your spirit to know your will, to follow your word, and to show your love. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today.